Let us pray. Gracious God, we live by the Spirit. Let us therefore speak and think and imagine and walk by the Spirit. Amen. Can you hear me? Okay. Let me know. Good morning to everybody. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Um, although I have to say that I'm a little bit nervous getting up here. And the reason for that is that today's gospel passage is a bit dangerous in the hands of someone like me. It may not look dangerous, but there it is. And the reason why this gospel is dangerous, again, for someone like me, is that I come to this gospel as a comfortably situated person within a society that has essentially been constructed to protect people like me. So for me to take this gospel passage simplistically and at face value means one thing. To love those who hate me means to get over my pride. To give freely means to dip into the abundance with which I've been blessed. But that same simplistic reading laid on someone who is suffering at the hands of abusers, oppressors, someone who has already had everything taken from them, then this gospel takes on a very different character, one that we should be very careful with. Because is what Jesus is saying here that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what has been done to you, that you surrender and lay down in front of it, you give more to your abusers, you forgive them, and you wait for God to sort it out. It's an issue because that has been preached. But there are a couple of things that might alert us to the fact that that is not what's happening here. One is just that our spidey senses are tingling. That's an awfully harsh message and one that demands a closer look. The second and more important one is that that reading is essentially unbiblical. What else we have of the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels does not mesh with that reading. What we know of God throughout Scripture is that God loves the oppressed. God's favor is on the enslaved, the destitute, the orphan, the widow. God desires the restoring to dignity of all people. And so, right here in the heart of the Sermon on the Plain, it's hard to accept that what we have is a reversal of that message of that God. But if we're not to take it simplistically, if we're not to take it at face value, then what can we say about it? It becomes infinitely more difficult to find what truth is being shared here. Perhaps one way of looking at this is that it is a lesson from Jesus on how power actually works on how power actually works in the world, which is a reversal and a contradiction of how the world that we create in our own image wishes to structure power. 
In this vision of power, power moves from the bottom up, it moves from the individual outward, and it moves from the margins into the center. Take any human structure of power and what you find is in some way or another power moving from the top to the bottom, from the whole onto the individual, and from the center outward over the margins. So what we have here is a reversal, a reversal of the way that power works. But it's more than that. It's not just a wishful thinking, oh, wouldn't it be nice if this is how things worked. It is a statement of how things truly work actually work. That the power of God moving in us and through our lives to renew the world functions in this way. Power does lie with the oppressed, with the small, with the meek, and it always has. So if this is what's being preached here, if this is what is embedded into the fabric of creation, then we should be able to see it at work elsewhere. And we can. Quite simply, within this gospel, we can see it at work. Last week, we heard the Beatitudes, the beginning portion of the Sermon on the Plain. comes just before these lines we read today, and there we very famously find the lines, Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. And again, not expressed as wishful thinking, not as what might be, but as what is. And if we step back a little further in the Gospel of Luke to the beginning, we find the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, where in response to this incredible thing that God is doing in the world, Mary cries out, God has lifted up the lowly, has filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty. Again, not as what might be, but as what is. This is what truly is. And in the person of Jesus, we can see power working in opposition to the way the world teaches us that it does. How many times does a person of faith reach out to touch Jesus or even the hem of his garment and suddenly power goes out of Jesus? Suddenly he's aware that his power has gone out of him almost spontaneously. There's something very important there, that when we are most aware of the power of God is when it goes out from us, not when we cling to it and hoard it and grab it and build ourselves up with it. It's when it goes out from us. So there it is at work in the gospel, but do we see it in our own lived experience? I believe so. One example, one that I think we can all share in, is to look at the recent government shutdown. There we had, all politics aside, an utterly absurd situation in which the most powerful and arguably most elegant system of government in the world stopped paying its employees. Now, Whatever the other ramifications are of that, then, now, and going forward, that's an interruption in the way that we are taught that power moves through the world. It's a break, it's a rift, it's an opening to examine 
more closely. And if we look at what happened in the midst of that rift, power began to flow in its natural direction from the individual outward, from the bottom up, from the outside in, as people opened their homes, their wallets, their businesses to their neighbors. This happened here. It happened with members of our own faith and of all faiths and of no faith because this is simply embedded in reality. This is the resiliency of the human spirit given by the Holy Spirit. This is how power actually works. This is why oppressive systems of government or anything else cannot stand in the long run. They will last for a while and they will wreak their havoc. But that spirit will move, will abide. There is something untouchable there. For a personal example, there was a, it just happened to be that at the time of the government shutdown, I was volunteering at Christ House in Alexandria. And don't get me wrong, I'm not applying for sainthood. It was for a class. But it was great. It was wonderful. It was a, it was a real privilege to see what they do there. And if you're familiar with Christ House, it is uh, affiliated with Catholic Charities, which is, of course, a massive global network. But in the midst of all of this news of continued government dysfunction, more and more people going without pay, the situation getting more and more desperate, I would arrive and see the hungry being fed, the homeless being housed, people being respected in their full dignity as human beings, people just on the cusp, just on the margin of losing that housing given the assistance they needed to make it to the next cycle. And what was making that happen was the sisters and the volunteers who were there, who were there no matter what. There are no shutdowns at Christ House. Day in and day out is power moving from the smallest places, the smallest corners, the individual soul outward, and the renewal at work was visible. So those are just two related examples, and I know that if we polled the room, everybody would have their own examples of when they've seen this take place, when they've seen and been aware of that power at work. But if that power is already at work in the world, if that reversal is already reality, not reality to come, but already and now, how can we live with that? How do we live into that? What does the rest of this passage, this gospel today, have to say about that? Because there are multiple pieces here. We have a list of what we can think of as do's, right, to do good to those who hate you, to turn the other cheek, to give your shirt in addition to your coat, to forgive before you've been forgiven. All of these things we have as instructions, what we are to do. We also have a list of what we are not to do. Most particularly, we are not to judge and not to condemn. And those two pieces functioning together can contribute to this sense that what the passage is saying is that we should do a good turn 
but essentially accept the brokenness around us. Don't judge. You know, what might be right for you is not right for this person. And it paints an utterly bleak picture of retreat, of laying down in the face of injustice and oppression. But again, we know that that is not the God that we have. What we have here in the do's and the do nots are the things that on the one hand God has authorized us to do, given us the power to do. If you wish to see a different world, to make a different world, here's the power that you do have. You have the power to turn the other cheek. You have the power to forgive. You have the power to renew the world by uniting your will to the divine will, by surrendering up your own sense of power to how that power might move through you and out from you. And with those things that we are not to do, not to judge, not to condemn. This is not some invitation to moral relativism. It's an insistence that God has reserved for God's self those things which are not ours to do, not ours to claim. We may not pass judgment on the worth of another person, and there is no room for us to ever cease seeking the face of Christ in all those around us. But there's a space between the do's and the do-nots. And it's a space where life, the majority of life, takes place. Where our daily lives are negotiated. And that is the space where we may find and be a part of renewal. By embracing this reversal. By accepting that this is the true reality. And far from giving in and accepting injustice, we are to strive for a world where all are free to live in this way because all are not yet free to live out this kind of power, this kind of life. So going into a new week, going into a new season of springtime, a new season of Lent coming up soon, and we study our lives where we are, what we may offer to God that we have not yet offered. Let's ask, what are the areas in that space? Where is that space in our lives where we could surrender a little bit to give over to God and allow that power to flow? It's going to be different for all of us. We all have some territory in ourselves, in our lives, that we can give over to be renewed? Where can we take a greater risk to love as we are loved? To close, I'll paraphrase a very wise priest that I know and say, if you wish to know whether or not this teaching, this gospel, this lesson is true, live as though it is true, and you will find that it is. Amen.